It's not just good conversation, it's your voice on the weekends. Weekends with Kenny Rahmeyer on News Radio KLBJ. I'd like to say it's a pleasure to be on your show. I've listened to a number of your podcasts. You always seem to pick some nuances that are fun to hear and interesting. I so appreciate everything that this generates. Come on, talk to me. What's going on? What's going on? Good afternoon to you. Thanks a lot for being with us on the weekends here on News Radio KLBJ. Kenny Rommeyer with you live and local this afternoon on this first Sunday in November. And boy, lots to talk about as always, even on the weekends here on KLBJ. The, the latest developments for you from the Mideast. We're going to start with that. Some national politics, some Texas politics. Here in Texas, looks like another special session may be in the offing. As far as national politics, wow, blockbuster New York Times polling data from some key swing states. And that says that President Biden may have some big problems. All of that and a whole lot more along with your phone calls and your text messages. This afternoon, 512-836-0590. You can give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. Latest developments from the Mideast. Just some of the headlines we're following for you this afternoon, more than 300 Americans, their families, and some permanent U.S. residents have left Gaza. That according to John Finer, who's the U.S. Deputy National Security Advisor. He said that on CBS's Phase the Nation today. Here's uh, a little bit of Finer talking about the hostages. It is a huge priority uh, for the president and for all of us to get as many of those hostages home, including obviously the American citizens uh, who are held there as soon as possible. Uh, And we believe that is still possible, uh, but that work is continuing and there is no agreement yet. It's reported the Middle East country of Qatar continues to be a pivotal player in the fate of the hostages. They continue to play the role of the, the key intermediary in these negotiations. And apparently it's reported Qatar's the only government that has sufficient capability and is looked upon favorably enough by both Hamas and Israel to be willing to engage with Israel and Hamas on on the tough issues, humanitarian and otherwise. That according to an expert on Middle Eastern affairs. Just so happens, just as a little sidebar here, Qatar's gas reserves, the third largest in the world after Russia and Iran. Think of that. They're trying to be a more pivotal player here on the world stage. It's obvious. The Secretary of State, you've heard this in our Fox News updates, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken was in the West Bank today meeting with the Palestinian Authority president. Here's uh, the latest on that. Cut one. 
Meantime, Secretary of State Antony Blinken has been continuing his diplomatic shuttling around the region. He met today in Ramallah in the West Bank with the head of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas. Abbas told the Secretary of State there has to be an immediate ceasefire. Secretary of State Blinken pushed back on that, said that the U.S. will not push Israel uh, to implement a ceasefire because it agrees with Israel that that can only benefit Hamas. That same Fox News reporter, Jonathan Hunt, reported earlier today that Abbas is losing Palestinian support and that Hamas is actually gaining support. So none of that is good news. Here's some more of Secretary of State Anthony Blinken uh, talking about what his goals in all these discussions with not only Abbas but others in the region, what he's trying to do. We're working very hard to make sure that the conflict in Gaza does not escalate, does not spread to other places. All right, simple enough. A few other headlines. I mentioned that uh, Blinken meeting with the Iraqi prime minister, talk about regional security, and also on the humanitarian front, about 100 trucks carrying humanitarian assistance went into Gaza today, and that's happening each day according to Secretary of State Blinken, but he said it's still not enough. And clean water now is apparently harder and harder to come by in Gaza. It was tough apparently before the war. Now, uh, small amounts of assistance coming in, but nearly impossible to find clean water apparently, and fuel continues to run low as well. U.S. Central Command has, has said that the Dwight D. Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group has arrived in the Middle East earlier today. And this is not goose, uh, good news. A, a NATO ally, Turkey, said yesterday it's recalling its ambassador to Israel and is breaking off contacts with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel. All of this in protest of what's going on in Gaza. So there you have a split in the NATO alliance with regard to support for Israel. 512-836-0590. Give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. The uh, discussion about some assistance for Israel was out there on the Sunny TV news shows today. The new U.S. House Speaker, Mike Johnson was talking about this on Fox News, and Finer, the Deputy National Security Advisor, also talking about it. And and essentially, you can see that Congress and the White House are at odds on how this may play out. This is uh, cut forward, Garrett. It's exactly what was requested, $14.5 billion. What they don't like is that in the House, we're trying to be good stewards of the taxpayers' resources. It is not uh, good for the United States, uh, good uh, for the region, or good for Israel uh, to tie emergency assistance to Israel uh, to what we consider to be essentially a a partisan uh, request uh, for uh, a way to offset that spending. So a lot of disagreement still on how exactly this aid package may come together. And I I read some reports this weekend that administration officials have been privately discussing with House Republicans that maybe 
the administration would change up some of the asylum reform language such that it would result in more people being denied the opportunity to apply for asylum. That's from Politico this weekend. So I guess the Biden administration is trying to uh, just throw the House Republicans a bone, right, saying they'd get a little tougher on the immigration front if the House would come around more to the administration side on some kind of aid package for Israel. So it, it remains to be seen if any of that's going on. Again, that from Politico over the weekend. 512-836-0590 here on KLBJ. Meantime, back at Ukraine, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, was making the rounds. He was on, uh, I believe it was NBC's Meet the Press. And uh, here's a, a little bit of a rap about Zelensky and, and how he was suggesting that maybe there's an endpoint for the amount of aid and assistance that his country might need from the United States. It's number nine, Garrett. Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky, when asked on NBC's Meet the Press how long the U.S. should stay engaged, he said... I think uh, the... Your help is very important for the next year. Zelensky says he believes Ukraine can narrow its funding gap in that time. So should the war continue beyond that year? We will manage to minimize this gap and you will not uh, help us such high price. Zelensky says he also thinks Russia is counting on the Israel-Hamas war drying up global support for Ukraine. Gernal Scott. Fox News. So again, the administration's, according to Politico, saying they might compromise with House Republicans on some immigration-related issues. They say border issues. Well, is that for more funding for Ukraine? Is that for uh, Israel? Is it for both? And I guess all that's a lot of the back-channel stuff that we may hear about officially at some point, but that's, that's just some of the stuff being reported this weekend about how that aid package may be coming together. 512-836-0590 is phone number. You can give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. We come right back. I want to talk about how the deep divisions within the Democrat Party, within the country, uh, the protests, not only here in the United States on college campuses in, in New York City and Washington, D.C., all around the world, how that continues to, to play out political ramifications of all of that and a whole lot more coming up here on KLBJ. And Kenny Rollmeyer back with you on a Sunday afternoon live and local for you. News Radio KLBJ, always good to be with you on the weekends as we're talking about the fallout from the Mideast war between Israel and Hamas. Part of President Biden's political team is in turmoil about all of this. Some of his aides see the White House as abetting an immoral attack on Palestinians. Others believe the president is showing moral clarity in protecting Israel from the terrorist. And so Axios is reporting that this conflict is, uh, is kind of a larger generational and, and a political divide among Democrats, not just within the administration. A high-ranking Democrat National Committee official, 
asked not to be identified, told Axios, quoting here, the president centered his 2020 campaign on a battle for the soul of the nation. But now it seems so the administration's currently in a battle for its own soul. We've got another report here within the Democrat Party, emerging concerns that the president's support for Israel is weakening him among key parts of his base. Now, we've talked about that from some of the uh, Arab Muslim factions within the Democrat Party. But these New York Times polls that were released today, I'm going to get to those in just a moment. Kind of according to this article, supercharging the concerns among Democrats about the political fallout. When you hear the results of those swing state polls, you'll, you'll know what they're talking about. In summary, you take a look at the polling data. Swing state voters have serious concerns about the president's management of the economy and his age, and he doesn't do well on the foreign policy front either. And so we'll, we'll get to those coming up here in just a moment. And I don't want to leave, though, the division, not just within the Democrat Party, but all around the country. And you take a look at the tens of thousands of pro-Palestinian protesters over this weekend in New York City. They were in Freedom Square there in Washington, D.C., and then moved on to the White House chanting Allah Akbar and blank Joe Biden. While there are signs accusing the president of, of genocide. And I got thinking, you know, with this president, if you start seeing bumper stickers of genocide Joe, that's not good. That's not a good omen for the upcoming political campaign with the understanding the elections are a year away, right? Here's just a, a sample of some of the uh, some of the slogans. Some of the protesters were chanting New York City and Washington D.C. Cut eight, Garrett. So some of that hard to pick up, but, you know, some of these consistent chants about from the river to the sea, that's, that's just calling for the elimination of the Jewish state. You're, you just heard there uh, kind of uh, old chants there hearkening back to the Vietnam days, USA, how many, you know, kids or babies you're going to kill today, right? That kind of stuff. And so a lot of turmoil within the United States about all of this, a lot of turmoil and the Democrat Party, good example of what's going on in the Democrat Party. Uh, a squad member, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, warning that uh, the president is supporting genocide, saying we're going to remember in 2024. The CNN was, was playing some of Tlaib's rant 
in their coverage today. And they, as it turned out, had the senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders, on as a guest, trying to pin him down on what Tlaib was saying and her notion that all of this is, is going to really backfire on the president and that the president is actually supporting genocide. So got a couple of clips here. Listen to him trying to twist himself. He's twisting himself in the press. He's not trying to, but that's what he's doing as he's trying to, to kind of duck the CNN moderator's questions. And then, and then you just hear him revert back to, oh, well, when all else fails, blame Trump. It's cut five, Garrett. Mr. President, the American people are not with you on this one. We will remember in 2024. I'm going to say, okay, Senator Sanders, you know, she's talking about the president supporting genocide here. What do you make of all that? And uh, this next cut, you'll hear Sanders trying to keep himself from uh, twisting himself into a pretzel. Cut six, Garrett. So it's, you know, you can disagree with Joe Biden, but on his worst day, it'll be 100 times better so, than where Trump and the right-wing Republicans. So you think that Rashida Tlaib should save her ire for, for Trump and the right-wing well, and not Rashida her Tlaib, fellow Democrat? Rashida is a friend of mine. Her family comes from Palestine. I think she's been shaken, as all of us are, about what goes on, is going on right there, right now. Yeah, and- We have to address that humanitarian crisis. But if anyone thinks that Trump is going to be better than Biden on this issue or any other issue for that matter, I think they are sorely mistaken. Well, like I said, when children- all else fails, blame it on Trump, right? Fall back on that. And she was pressing him one way or the other to try to uh, see if he supports what Tlaib and some of these others, the leftists in Congress, have been saying. And so you hope, well, gee, when uh, the Democrats need somebody to clear the air and really settle this thing once and for all, who comes riding in? Well, that would be former President Barack Obama. Now, he was celebrating his 15-year anniversary of his presidency with uh, some former aides there in Chicago, where, among other things, we're finally getting started on his presidential library. And, uh, I mean, to me, just to listen to him, as he's talking to his former staffers, he's commenting about what's going on in the Mideast. And I got to say, it, it's, it sounds a lot like the old uh, American Apology Tour that we used to hear back when he was president and, and notions of leading from behind. That's what I'm hearing as we listen to the former president here because he essentially says that uh, we're all complicit. None of us are clean on this. Cut seven, Garrett. So if you want to solve the problem, then you have to take in the whole truth. And you then have to admit nobody's hands are clean, that all of us are complicit to some degree. I look at this and I think back, what could I have done during my presidency to move this forward as hard as I tried? I've got the scars to prove it. But there's a part of me that's still saying, well, was there something else I could have done? That's the conversation we should be having. Yeah, well, 
I got to say, just thinking back to the Obama administration, whether it was under Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, under Secretary of State John Kerry, I can't think that uh, that administration had a whole lot of anything to point to with respect to progress in the Mideast. It was widely reported at the time that he and Benjamin Netanyahu didn't get along at all. In the meantime, the Trump administration had a few things to point to. They had a, a plan. It was an economic plan, a political plan. Trump recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital. And then there were the Abraham Accords, right, all designed to try to get some agreement, some semblance of some agreement between the Israelis and any Arab states that would sign on to it. Only the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain ever signed. So he was just getting started, but at least there were some diplomatic relations going on between some Arab states and Israel. So you can take any kind of side you want on who did a better job, Obama or Trump. Well, I'll tell you, it doesn't take me very long to listen to former President Obama, and I'm glad I'm not listening to him very much at all. And then we come right back former senior advisor to former President Obama, David Axelrod, said today Biden should drop out. We'll have more on that coming up here on KLBJ. Kenny Rahmeyer back with you Sunday afternoon, live and local for you. Weekends with Kenny Rahmeyer on KLBJ. Always good to be with you. So right before the break, we played uh, a couple of comments from former President Obama, who felt compelled to to weigh in on the Middle East conflict. And just know this is not coincidence that you heard from him kind of seemingly taking the other side from what the Biden administration has been taking up to this point. And then former Obama senior advisor, David Axelrod, on the heels of these disastrous New York Times polls that came out today about Biden and, and Trump in the swing states. So Axelrod post on X, formerly Twitter, quoting here, it's very late to change horses. A lot will happen in the next year that no one can predict. And Biden's team says his resolve to run is firm. Axelrod said Biden's poll numbers are going to send tremors of doubt through the Democrat Party. He says, not bedwetting, but legitimate concern. And then he finished saying, only Joe Biden can make this decision. If he continues to run, he'll be the nominee of the Democrat Party. What he needs to decide is whether that is wise, whether it's in his best interest or the country's. Some sage advice there from Axelrod. Is it just coincidence that his former boss came out made some statements this weekend, and then Axelrod, who a lot of people in the Democrat Party still listen to that guy, is saying, maybe old Joe ought to step down. It's not coincidence. You just wonder, these disastrous poll numbers, some of the things going on in the administration, his handling of foreign policy, the economy. There's some good news on the economic front, but not all good news. Immigration, which we haven't even touched on here today, disaster on our southern border. You just wonder, some of the old guard there in the Democrat Party starting to talk to each other and say, you know what, 
Maybe it's time to start sending the signals. Here, this guy's got to go. I suggest it's not coincidence that Axelrod and Obama both spoke out this weekend. Their comments will, will surely be driving some of the Monday morning news cycles tomorrow. 512-836-0590 if you would like to join us. And one other thing is I'm no political sage like Axelrod or some of these other guys on the Sunny TV talk shows all the time. But as we hear about the differing opinions about Israel and Hamas, the deep divisions in our country, I'm wondering if the issue of abortion and the issue of the Israel-Hamas war are almost one and the same if you view them through a political filter or through political lens. I'm not comparing the two topics morally in any way. I'm just saying from a political filter, I mean, they have similar elements, right? They're incredibly divisive, controversial issues. You can talk about either topic for the rest of the day around and around and around, and you end up pretty much in the same place. You look at the tens of thousands of people that get out supporting Palestinians on this issue. New York City, Washington, D.C., good examples of that over the weekend. Obviously, people, it motivates, this issue motivates people. If they're going to get out and protest, is it likely they might get out and vote? They feel that strongly about that. We saw that to a certain extent after the Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe v. Wade, right? And and how that seemingly worked for the Democrats in the midterms, and, and maybe it will in the upcoming election next year as well. I, I just wonder if those two lightning rod issues are going to have some kind of uh, parallels as far as being one of those kind of issues that really could be a difference maker in the upcoming elections. 512-836-0590. Dennis calling in from San Marcos on KLBJ. Hello, Dennis. Hi, how you doing? Good, thank hey, you. Uh, this situation over in the Middle East with Israel and Hamas and Hezbollah, it's, uh, it's just a hopeless situation. There's been too much blood spill, too much hatred. Uh, I can't see any kind of really good uh, situation coming out of none of it. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'm, I, I blame Netanyahu for a lot of it because he was so uh, in, so concerned about the West Bank and those new settlements that he just took his eyes off. Of it. As a matter of fact, he thought he could get along with Hamas and that they could live with Hamas. And uh, they just got left caught with their pants down. And I can't believe that knowing how bad Hamas hated them, why would they just essentially just be caught sleeping? So, Well, you know, what you're, what you're talking about is Netanyahu uh, thinking he could coexist. That's been a lot of, just we're talking about former President Obama, that was a lot of his administration's position, carry over to the Biden administration, which is very much... Obama 2.0, a lot of the same Obama retreads that Obama had in his administration are the, the key 
players that are helping Biden right now. So do you you, you think that that uh, sense is growing not only here in the United States but uh, with Netanyahu as well? Is that what you're saying, Dennis? Yes, I mean I, it doesn't matter Obama, whoever. If they thought they could get along with those folks when they said outright saying that they 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 hated them, they wanted them off the, you know, non-existent. I mean, you got to be you got to be silly. But uh, I, my heart goes out to them. It goes out to the people in Gaza also. But I mean, it's just a it's a it's going to be an endless situation. I, I just don't see nothing good coming from it. And I, I just hate to see us, the United States, being pulled in it. I feel for Joe Biden because, yeah, he is looking like uh, he's in serious trouble and he's getting flack from the Democratic Party. Uh, it's just really bad. I mean, it's like Israel's bombing Gaza and it's like shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, you can't help but to kill people. And I just don't see what's going to happen to the end of this. Dennis, thanks. It's a mess. Hard to see an endpoint at, at this time. Agree with you on that. 512-836-0590. Give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. The caller mentioned it. I've mentioned it so much about these, these latest poll numbers that have come out. Big polls from the New York Times this weekend. And it is, uh, it is not good for either Biden or Harris, for that matter. This is New York Times poll, along with Siena College. And it's taking a look at a hypothetical matchup between Biden and Trump in these key battleground states. Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Biden won all of those states in 2020. But in the latest polling data, Trump's leading Biden comfortably in five out of the six. I think Wisconsin was the only one. And even in that one, Biden was just up by two points, 47 to 45. And I mentioned it's not good for the vice president either. If you take a look at the hypothetical matchup, Trump v. Harris, it's a clean sweep in those key battleground states. Another poll, and this is from ABC News, ABC News Ipsos, says that 76% of Americans believe the country's headed in the wrong direction. 73, 76%, that's three quarters of those polled. You, you hardly get Americans to ever agree on that much. Only 23% think the country's headed in the right direction. About 33% view President Joe Biden favorably. Now, don't get excited. Trump supporters, he's viewed favorably by only about 29%. So a little conflicting data there in the polls. It was interesting. ABC's Jonathan Carl, one of their uh, chief reporters, he says, well, uh, the reason these polls are so bad for Biden right now is that no one's paying attention. I would beg to differ, sir. Maybe people are paying attention. 512-836-0590 here on KLBJ. And then, of course, I saw a big piece in the Wall Street Journal. On both sides, more of those polled 
would vote for someone else if they were given the chance. Whether it's on the Democrat side, on the Republican side, most people don't want either one of the leading candidates. You've heard that time and time again. And this ABC Ipsos poll, the economy and inflation, continue to be the top issues. Abortion, less of a priority, since I touched on that a little bit ago. Less than half, 45%, say it's very important. Democrats trusted way more than Republicans on that particular issue. And, I, you know, that one's faded a little bit, maybe. Maybe it's uh, between now and Election Day, the, the politicians are going to fan the fires on that one, reinvigorate that one. Back to the caller's point, depending on how long this thing goes on in the Mideast, on and on and on. I just I just wonder if the Mideast conflict and the president's position on that, all the divisions within his party, then the country, if that's going to resonate as much or more so even than that lightning rod issue of abortion. I, I'm continuing to uh, to kind of lean that way. And then from NBC, I'm out this headline, jumbled mess. The Bidenomics brand leaves nearly everyone, including Biden, baffled. NBC, not exactly a right-leaning news organization, right? You'd agree with that? Here's just a couple of excerpts from this piece. No one seems to like Bidenomics. Not voters, not Democrat officials, not even, at times, the president himself. Then they quote the president in a speech in Philadelphia earlier this year. When he said, it's a term that mystifies Americans, I don't know what the hell it is. That's the guy that's touting Bidenomics. Just last week in Minnesota, he was saying Bidenomics is the American dream. Mentioned that twice in the same speech, but a Gallup poll in September that 48% of adults rated economic conditions as poor. Average food prices, U.S. cities have risen 20%. Since Biden has taken office, gasoline prices down some from the highest levels, but still a third higher than a pre-pandemic level. One Democratic strategist said whoever came up with the slogan Bidenomics should be fired. It's probably the worst messaging you could ever imagine. And so we'll continue to... Uh, to see how much the administration plays that up. As of now, MEC reports their TV advertising, not talking about it per se as far as that phrase. And the Biden campaign thinks the ads are currently running are working. But as NBC points out, as the ad campaigns take time to sink in, Biden's sluggish approval ratings suggest the ads have a long way to go. Just finishing up on uh, on some polls. Nobody's doing well in D.C. Trust in the federal government, 16%. That's according to the Pew Research Center. 53% told the Associated Press they have hardly any confidence at all in Congress. Two more items on presidential politics. Another poll, a Quinnipiac poll, shows that uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., could get as much as 22% of the vote as an independent candidate. And of a matchup there, 
Biden would come out 39%, Trump at 36%, RFK Jr. at 22%. And then a headline on the Republican side, an Iowa governor uncharacteristically supporting one of the Republican candidates before the Iowa caucuses. She's going to come out, according to NBC, tomorrow and endorse Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. She's pretty popular there in Iowa. Don't know if that moves the needle for him in any way, but just wanted to work that in. 512-836-0590. Plenty of time for you to give us a call or send us a text. We come right back. What's going on at the Capitol with respect to the special session and some kind of education bill and some kind of voucher program and all that. We'll have it for you coming up here on KLBJ. And Kenny Rawmeyer back with you on this Sunday afternoon. Thanks for being with us on KLBJ. What's happening over at the state legislature this weekend? Well, according to the Austin American Statesman and the Texas Tribune, it appears a fourth special session focused on the education savings accounts uh, seems all but certain. Representative Brad Buckley, who chairs the Texas House Education Committee, told members Friday afternoon to study up on a new version of a bill that he had previously filed. It's 180 pages introduced last month about school choice, funding for public schools, teacher raises, and all the rest. But it appears that in the closing days of the session, nothing's going to pass. And it's reported that the governor is widely expected to announce soon another special session. So whether anything happens on the education front, anything happens on border security, right? There were border security bills that were, uh, that were out there. So no official word has been made on a special session. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick presides over the Senate, said on social media, he informed the governor that he supported waiting for a special session until February 5th of next year, just a month before primary elections. I think I saw something about uh, the lieutenant governor may have pneumonia or something like that. I think I saw that in the news today. The Senate's expected to come back to the Capitol today, the House returning sometime this coming week. And technically only days remain in the special session. So, We'll keep an eye on that for you here on KLBJ. Also from KXAN, I don't know if you've early voted yet, the uh, constitutional amendment election is coming up on Tuesday the 7th, right? KXAN reports at least on a nationwide base, or not nationwide, statewide, after 11 days of early voting, almost uh, a million ballots, 980,000 statewide have been cast, so that's about a 5.5% voter turnout so far. We'll, of course, keep our eye on the results of, of Tuesday's voting for you here on KLBJ. And this is not news yet, but I sometimes I see these articles from different parts of the country, usually the West Coast, and I say, uh-oh, look out, here it comes, right? You heard about this? 
a dramatic rise in accidents killing or injuring pedestrians and bicyclists are leading now to moves to ban right turns on red. In Washington, D.C., their city council last year approved a right on red ban. It takes effect in a couple of years. San Francisco leaders are urging their transportation agency to get rid of right turns on red. Other cities like L.A., Seattle, Denver looking at it as well, and I'm just wondering how soon before our Austin City Council latches on to this one. Critics say that banning right turn on red will only inconvenience motorists, and it will also slow down commuter buses and deliveries. A lot of the research that's being referenced in these studies by these various cities is, is quite a few years old. But both sides in some of these cities that are taking a look at all this say the data is still relevant. So just a heads up, you can almost see that one coming here. Speaking of tomorrow, former President Trump expected to take the witness stand in Manhattan in that civil fraud trial. Not any cameras, but he's going to be under oath and he's going to be questioned about you know, his net worth and how he valued a lot of their properties and how that played into getting loans. And that's what that one's all about, right? His two knucklehead sons were on the stand last week. His daughter, Ivanka, scheduled to testify on Wednesday. I bring this up. I don't know if you're following that one closely, but no cameras in that one. Now, we've seen some pictures in that, but as far as the the testimony in that, that's not going to be on camera. But what about some of these other trials that he has coming up? Well, first, Chris Wallace from CNN says tomorrow's testimony would be must-see TV if the cameras were allowed to roll. But so put that case aside, the Department of Justice and the special counsel, Jack Smith, are pushing to not allow cameras in the big uh, Trump election interference trial. Apparently, a a group of media organizations, including NBC and others, have have petitioned to record and and telecast that 2020 interference trial. The DOJ is urging the federal judge to reject calls by the news organizations. So interesting that the Trump's defense attorneys are saying, yeah, let's have live TV. The media organizations are clamoring for it. It would be historic. And yet it's not happening. You just wonder if the president's team hasn't calculated whether it's that case, any other case, anything having to do with all of these trials. The president's thinking any publicity, right? His, his mantra is any publicity is good publicity. And getting all that FaceTime, he surely thinks that's going to benefit him. We'll see. I mentioned last Sunday the trials in Colorado up in Minnesota. Both those courts heard arguments in their cases about whether Trump should be disqualified from their respective ballots. So Michigan has a case this week similar to Colorado and and Minnesota. And I, I continue to 
be fascinated by the arguments back and forth on both sides about whether this case is going to have any merit and whether it's going to make any difference. The big push against Trump on this in the Colorado case, they say he took an oath as an officer of the U.S. The attack on the Capitol was insurrection, that Trump engaged in that insurrection, and that Colorado's Secretary of State can be ordered by the court to keep him off the ballot. We will continue to follow that case. And lastly, a story, remember the teacher shot by the six-year-old kid? Uh, They've ruled that her case, $40 million lawsuit, can move forward against that school district in Virginia. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Thanks to Garrett. The latest news coming up next on KLBJ.